Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to Simply Not Easy. Hope you're all having a good day out there today. Workout Wednesday. Now, well, today's a little bit of an assessment, a little bit of a uh, general rule of thumb to go about when you're monitoring yourself for your workouts. And this is a little bit less prevalent for your typical planar strengthening motions, right? So things that are just up and down, side to side, just to purely get strong in of itself. We don't have to worry about this as much. But when it comes to integrating in more sport-specific movement, when it comes to understanding for ourselves how we move in this three-dimensional space, that's when our rotational movements do play a much bigger role, a huge role. And part of today is looking at asymmetries and if we need to be concerned about them or not. And I say sometimes they are a metric to, to, I don't wanna say worry about, but to notice and sometimes we can completely disregard a lot of it. So, let's say that you're a rotational athlete. What I mean by that is you have a sport that you play or something you do very, very frequently where you're used to winding up in one direction or another with generating power. For example, golf. Very few people that play golf swing both ways. That's normal and good. You gotta develop that skill, give it time but that means you're winding up one direction, powering through it in the other. And that develops a pattern of movement. The same is true for baseball, lacrosse, any of these other sports where you are winding up where there's a rotational power to them. I would expect for these athletes that you would have more power and more ease of movement in the direction that you're typically used to moving in. And that is not a bad thing. So you may want to do some maintenance for yourself in these positions, so that way, okay, let me at least have a decent available range in the other direction, right? I don't want to be half one way and a ton the other way. Let me make sure to one side, even if I barely go there for actual sport or use, that I have 80% of the strength and 80% of the range of motion, right? And again, this is for rotation. We're talking kind of like at the thoracic spine area and hips as well. When it comes to the shoulder, and more of an overhead throwing athlete, we've got a whole nother set of rules for that. But we want about 80% of the strength and 80% of the rotation range of motion and a relative ease through that range of motion as well. Now, that is not a hard, fast rule, but it's a recommendation. Is it based on research? Absolutely not. But just more of my clinical practice, looking at kind of general muscle balance that leaves some margin for error where it is completely safe to have slight asymmetries because you're training this for a specific movement. Now, let's say you're not, right? Let's say that you're not somebody who's training those movements and you want to talk about kind of optimizing body movement and body understanding. Well, when we say optimizing, right? It's all in their context. So what's the context of it? What are you actually looking to achieve for yourself? Is this something for yourself long-term that you're not really concerned about? You're just like, okay, whatever happens, happens. 
If you're cool with that, then you're cool with that. That's fine. Or is this something that we might want to be mindful of, pay a little bit of attention to as you go forward? So what I mean by that is, if you're not a rotational athlete, right? Maybe 80% strength and 80% ease of range of motion isn't always a high enough standard because you've got no major intentional movement pattern throughout the day that's driving you to be to have that lack of symmetry. So I'd say a goal and gold standard is to be at least above 90% for strength and um, anti-rotation ability for coordination as well as getting the range of motion and ease the range of motion through those ways. So if you're a rotational athlete, no, you don't have to train quite as explosive against your pattern, but still have the ability to use it. Still have the ability to go there. It's actually gonna help you maintain just a little bit of a better length tension relationship in your muscular system, which will further allow you to be able to work better, to be able to generate more power and force when you do, do go into your direction. And again, this kind of goes off of our conversation about scoliosis, not because people with muscle imbalances have scoliosis, but that's part of the origin of it uh, from a young age. For whatever reason, you're moving in one pattern way more dominant than the other, and that can cause muscle imbalances that have a direct influence on the spine. Because the spine is that stirring of bones, that strong, stable, and sturdy, but it is absolutely affected by our muscles around it. And it really is much more of a muscular system than it is even just the skeletal constraints where it's both pulling back and forth all the time. So what we can do is we can leverage these rotational muscles. I want to talk quickly about muscles that aren't often talked about in terms of rotation. Looking at the rhomboids to drive rotational patterns in that anterior and posterior sling and different ways that we can leverage and utilize it. So the rhomboids being between the scap, if you typically kind of do like a dumbbell bent over row, let's say, and you're working the rhomboids, that's gonna cause you to rotate to the same side, it's a lateral rotation. So if you're hitting a dumbbell row, one arm, your left hand's on the bench, your right arm's got the dumbbell, you're rolling back, it's not hard to imagine how that's gonna encourage a pattern of rotating your torso to the right. Sweet, so you've got a, a minor bit of right spinal rotation. Now, anybody who does this exercise frequently will tell you, hey, don't, don't move your back, right? Keep that still and steady. Well, even when you do that with that cue, you do get a very small, tiny bit of muscle rotation, and the muscle actually still pulls a general movement in that direction for its tension, which is fine, normal, and good. You don't need to avoid those small amounts. Just like when we do a deadlift or a squat, even when you visibly look like you have the exact same spinal position and posture, that is a controlled movement. There are actually plenty of studies where you get up, you get a large amount of spinal flexion throughout that movement. So that really leads us to change a paradigm of saying, does our spine really have to be rigid or do we just have to tell it to be rigid? Do we have to cue the rigidity? And through that, there's a normal amount of flexion that occurs and, we, and it's our job to make sure that's not overly excessive and that we still get a good wind up from the thoracolumbar fascia for that passive stability along with our active stability. Tons of questions on that.
but that's a rhomboid in open chain, right? With a dumbbell in hand, moving it throughout the air. But in closed chain, it actually promotes contralateral rotation. Because closed chain is with it fixed, it fixated on the ground. So for example, if you're in a side plank and you do a side plank on your left side down and you use a little bit of the scapular retractors because it's more retractors than protractors. So a little bit less serrated. So it actually get, it does get a lot of serratus too. It does get some protractors, but you will get a little bit of retraction as well, more isometrically. So actually thinking about it, side plank maybe isn't the best example of that, but you still get some activation. So let's say side plank for now, you're in your left side plank, a little bit of rhomboid activation. So then it would be promoting a contralateral rotation. So left side plank is promoting more of a right rotation. Then further with that top hand, you could have a cable attached and do a row at the same time maintaining that stability. All of a sudden, that's working more on a right rotation as well. So you can see how these patterns fire together that when one arm is fixated, one arm is in open chain, or one arm is closed chain and one arm is open chain at the same time, that's what allows the rotational movement to occur, and that's how we can develop the force to get the muscles back. Do I expect that you're actually isolating the muscle? No, not a chance, that's crazy. that's crazy. It's a full body rotational pattern. That muscle can be the focus, the impetus, the driver of that rotation as we allow the other muscle segments around it to take up the slack, take up the tension, and create a change in that area. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This rotation stuff is good, man. That's where athletic power comes from. It's all in the rotation. Can you lock it? Can you unlock it? Can you utilize it? Absorb it and power back through and push. All right, y'all. Simply not easy.